This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hales, host of the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm so glad you have joined us here at the Finding Holy Podcast. We aim to help you connect the dots between things that really matter and your everyday holy life. And I don't know if you're a lot like me, if you're listening to podcasts while you're doing dishes or you're out for a walk or you're in the car, wherever you find yourself, I think it's often hard to take all the great information and conversations we hear on podcasts into our everyday holy life. So here at the Finding Holy Podcast, you can expect a really rich conversation about ideas, about God, faith, culture, and also the ability to connect those big conversations, those big ideas into your everyday life where I leave you with a small step at the end. So make sure you listen all the way to the end. We have a special thing in store for you for the month of January. We do a little suburban boot camp, and I sit down with my husband, who is a church planter and pastor at Resurrection Orange County in Orange County, California, and we're going to actually talk about what does it look like to translate some of these big ideas into real life? Where do we see it? Where do we see it on the ground? And so we're going to kick off this suburban boot camp talking about secularism. I'm excited for this conversation. Here's my conversation for suburban boot camp with Bryce Hales. All right, it's Ashley Hales, and we are here at the Finding Holy Podcast for Suburban Boot Camp. And so just so you can get a picture, my husband, Bryce Hales, he is the pastor of Resurrection Orange County, our church plant here in South Orange County, and I are sitting in our living room, we're drinking our coffee. We sit down, we help you connect the dots between the things that really matter, things like faith and culture and new trends and sociological data, and we're going to help put it into actual practice on the ground, especially if you happen to be in a ministry context, whether or not you happen to be in the suburbs, but it's super fun to chat officially with my husband, with all of you here. (laughs) So welcome, Bryce. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. So our Suburban Boot Camp episodes from last January were really popular. We talked about things about hospitality. And so I'm excited to sit down and talk with my husband officially. Um, about secularism and suburban secularism particularly. This kind of came about, right? Because we were obsessively listened to a certain podcast. Why don't you just... Yeah, that's right. So uh, I've been listening to the This Cultural Moment podcast um, and I think I've listened with Mark to Sayers you know, with and Mark John Sayers Mark. and John, John Mark Comer. It, it has just blown my mind. I, I think I've listened to it uh, each, each episode at least twice, some of them three or four times, um, because it's really fascinating. They, they are describing uh, a context, both of um, Mark Sayers is in Melbourne, Australia, John Mark Comer is in uh, Portland, and they both planted churches in, uh, in pretty progressive cities, I think around the year 2000. And they've both described this experience of planting a church in a progressive secular city, uh, thinking that if you could kind of just do ministry in a way that seemed kind of cool and hip and irrelevant, that 
maybe Christians that were disconnected from a, from a church would kind of get connected and their faith would be reinvigorated and they would begin to live these lives of mission and meaning and it would be beautiful. And, um, and what they discovered is that just doesn't work. That just right. didn't happen. Yeah. And so they both talked about um, kind of starting these like alternative feeling worship services where maybe they're meeting in a bar. And then what they've discovered is once you take people to the bar uh, for church, they just stay at the bar and stop coming to church. Right. <laughs> and so they were really being, um, uh, rather than kind of being a gospel light in the culture, the culture was kind of assimilating Christians out of the church. Right. And as I listened to them describe the kind of experience of starting those churches, what I realized is that in a very different context, we're uh, you know maybe 15 years behind them. We planted Resurrection OC starting in 2015, and we're in a more um, suburban environment. It's more uh, you know Orange County tends to vote uh, to the right. Um, you know, it, it, it's a more affluent uh, kind of right-leaning environment. And yet the way they describe that experience in the early days of planting a church, I think mirrors so much of what mm, we've mm-hmm, experienced mm-hmm. because uh, we really planted uh, this church really in the neighborhood where we are kind of going, there isn't really a Protestant church here. And certainly a certain percentage of people in this community are Christians and it's gonna be easy we're gonna plant this church <laughs> and they're just gonna show up because we're in their you know, neighborhood uh, the music's gonna be good the preaching's at least not gonna be terrible <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be great and 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 people will just their faith will be reinvigorated and and well suffice it to say it hasn't exactly happened <laughs> that uh, that Spe- easily spectacular um, and so and what I've realized uh, in, in some ways, uh, just the aha moment listening to uh, this cultural moment uh, is that um, the, the light bulb really went on when I realized that um, there's a secularism of the right. Mm-hmm. And we think of secularism as this kind of progressive um you know, like all of movement. those, the new atheists, right? Yeah. Right, like trying yeah. to disprove God. And so it's right. kind of well, a trickle down the, from that. You know, I think people think of as secularism as this idea that, I don't know, sometime in the Middle Ages, you know, five, six, eight hundred years ago, pretty much everybody was a Christian and everybody was in church on a Sunday morning. And, you know, every day that goes by, like less and less people go to church until at some point, you know, maybe in 2030, like every, the last church will finally close its doors <laughs> and there will be no more Christians oh, left. That's um, because everybody, you know, has arrived at this sort of secular utopia and we no longer need God to live beautiful lives. And, uh, and we, we see, so we, that's kind of the, the myth of secularism. But typically, we think of secularism as thriving in urban progressive right. um, centers like you know New York, L.A., London, Melbourne, Australia, wherever, where um, where you know there, there's a there's a movement away from sort of traditional morality, maybe mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of the sexually pro- progressive sexual ethic. Um, inclusive language around gender is not just become accepted, but it's actually, there's almost this new moralism Mm -hmm. around some of of these things. Yeah. Yeah, Of the left. Um, But at the same time, 
like I said, the light bulb went on for me when I realized that there is actually a right-leaning version of secularism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we see this a lot in in a kind of more suburban, affluent context. Right. And let's push pause on the what does the secularism of the right look like? And maybe just talk about, you know, what is secularism? And um, maybe, you know, I, I'm just thinking of, you know, lots of people have written on the philosopher Charles Taylor. I have read bits and pieces. I'm just going to hear say I've not read his 900-page book. But <laughs> the parts that I have read have been actually highly readable. So thank you for Charles Taylor for, <laughs> for writing something that's readable. But it's still a little bit too dense for my... Uh, it's just long. Writing. Yeah, it's, long. it's just long. <laughs> it's long. But, you know, what he does talk about, though, is this this idea of the buffered self, right? And the, the sense that we we create meaning from the things around us um, in kind of the secular age. And we don't have to actually reckon with sort of a transcendent, a vertical relationship. Like the, you know, what secularism has done has deconstructed kind of a vertical transcendent relationship. Right. And um, Mark Sayers talks about it as, you know, wanting the kingdom, the benefits of the kingdom without the king. Without the king. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think of secularism as the idea, you know, I remember when I was a little kid, um, I was talking to my mom once and I had this idea that the sky couldn't go up forever. And if someplace um, you would like run into like a tin ceiling <laughs> over our world and somewhere if you found them, there must be like posts holding up this massive ceiling. But that's sort of the idea of secularism that right. that this world is all that there is. Yeah. And maybe a long time ago, people needed God to find meaning in their life. But we're more enlightened than that now, right? Right. And so we don't need uh, we don't need God. We don't need religion. We don't need spirituality in our lives because we've got this all uh, kind of figured out. Right. So I mean, you, you can you can talk about it in in more academic or less academic ways, <laughs> but uh, I think of secularism as the belief that life can be great without God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you think of it in those terms. Um, you can see how it applies to people who are not, you know, maybe on the cutting edge of progressive thoughts uh, or or lifestyle or whatever it is. Um, We meet people all the time in our context who I I meet people every week who say, you know, I moved to this community 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're Christians. We never really got plugged into a church and, um, you know, fast forward 15 years and we are perfectly content because we are materially successful Mm -hmm. and our kids are playing soccer and travel baseball and um, all of these things. And yeah, we think life is great without God. And Mm -hmm. yet at the same time, under the surface, and we see this statistically in our culture, that levels of anxiety, loneliness, depression, um, are just racking mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I in my current writing project too, I've been thinking a lot about about this connection right between secularism and freedom and kind of the American ideal or the American dream. Um, you know, that we believe that really what it looks like to be free is what it looks like to be happy, and we define happiness by kind of the unfettered ability of the individual to choose, right? To to be autonomous. Um, and both those reactions, you know, but that's a, a highly secularized worldview, right? That that we, what looks like happiness is I get to choose and yeah. whatever I choose 
whether it's like being good and going to church every Sunday or if it's something vile like child pornography and child human trafficking, like it's okay because it's my choice. There's no transcendent truth to kind of right. read our every day. Right. Well, you can see, you know, the latter part of what you said there, how that how that definition of freedom starts to kind of unravel. <laughs> right, yeah. But... Um, I mean, certainly idea, the idea that freedom is being able to do whatever you want on the surface of it seems to have some appeal uh, until you think about it for just half a second. <laughs> yeah. uh, because anybody who has a Netflix subscription has known that infinite choice does not always lead <laughs> right. to like human flourishing, <laughs> meaning and happiness. I mean, yeah. I feel like when I sit down to watch something on Netflix, especially if I'm by myself, It'll take me half an hour to decide what I'm going to watch. And I just feel so blah right. by the time I pick something. Right. And some of it is just the the fear of choosing the wrong thing and spending 90 right. minutes on something and then wishing I'd done something else. Um, so really so secularism. So it creates this sort of anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this this idea that I have the, the right and in some ways the responsibility mm-hmm. to choose anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it creates the the anxiety of you better not choose the, the wrong, wrong thing. thing. So the right. whole FOMO concept of the you know fear of missing out yep. is at the heart of so much of um, this quest for freedom, and yet um, freedom, biblically speaking, is is totally different. You know, Galatians five one says, "For freedom, Christ has set us free." Yeah. Um, and so freedom in a Christian sense is not doing whatever the heck you want. Right. Freedom is. Um, living the way God has created you to live and that there are uh, God who created us knows how we function best. Mm -hmm. And so we are truly free when we live in the way that he has created us to live. Right. Within the the loving limits of a loving God, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But it's super hard. So how do we see, obviously, I mean, that's kind of, you know, from the garden, right? We've been like, nope, thanks God. I I know it's best for me and I would like to be like you. And by which I mean, I get to choose. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, secularism really is just kind of one of those modern instantiations of the same kind of sin of wanting to be like God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just this past Sunday, I was talking about, uh, life in Babylon and, you know, Babylon originates with the tower of Babel where the human race says, we're going to make a name for ourselves and build a tower to heaven without God. Right. We're going to become great without God. And uh, that really is the spirit of Babylon. So by the time you get to the books of like Daniel and Jeremiah in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has conquered uh, really the, the entire region. And uh, the Babylonians believe themselves to be descended from these godlike people. And they believed that they had this enlightened knowledge and they were more advanced than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so it was really their duty to uh, subdue everybody around them in order to kind of bring them up to their level. And mm-hmm. if you just get on board with our program and adopt our way of life, then uh, everything's just going to progress naturally. And if that doesn't sound like Facebook. secularism... It sounds like Facebook today, really, right, is what it is. Right, right. But the genius, the, 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 the kind of subtle, you know, I use the word genius with like scare quotes yeah. um, of social media is that um, Nebuchadnezzar had to show up and conquer you, you know, through battle. Right. And social media has created an environment where uh, we are being sort of assimilated without really knowing it. And right. so instead of, um, I think you had said this to me that's, uh, recently, but... Uh, most products, we are the consumers and we go and consume them. But but social media <laughs> right. has really 
tip things upside down where we are the product now. Yeah. And so social media kind of holds out this illusion that like I'm the product and I am uh, kind of I'm, I'm on the stage here and people like me and people follow me. And yet what what they're really doing is they're using me or the right. things I post to make money. money. So I am actually the product. Right. I'm, right. And I'm the thing. I'm not being the brand. Consumed. I am the product. Yeah. I'm the thing being consumed when I am on, am on social media. Yeah. Which yeah. is so frightening. Yeah. So part of this whole secularism dynamic is the way that technology, technology has kind of sped up the pace of change in our culture. Right. But the people in their twenties and thirties, especially have grown up where it doesn't really matter if you grew up in the rural Midwest or if you grew up in, you know, Orange County where we grew up or, or somewhere where you're really kind of on the cutting edge of culture, mm-hmm. um, you kind of, you have yeah, a that, shared yeah, experience access. because yeah. technology yeah. has basically made everything accessible to right. everyone. Which, you know, of course I want to push back and say, you know, obviously our place, like I wrote a whole book on it, our places shape our lives even now with technology, but there is kind of a a level of kind of conversation and shared experience that the internet has provided. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there's some good things about that, but what they're finding, you know, people who research this more and more is that people are uh, globally connected and that millennials often feel connected to things going on, social movements on the other side of the globe. Right. And yet they are locally isolated. True. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly right. Okay. So we're going to keep talking about secularism for our several episodes so don't worry but let's kind of pivot for a second and talk about what does it look like that we see the secularism of the right or maybe a suburban secularism i think like we've touched on it a little bit about this idea about consumers um yeah one one of the things that just hit me when i was thinking about this is that um in uh, you know the secularism of the left might look like kind of uh, adopting these like socially progressive causes, um, uh, you know, the, the secularism of the right. Well, I think one of the things that's really uh, essential to understand in this is that as we're stepping into kind of this next phase of, of culture, where, wherever we're going, what's happening is that political ideology of the left and the right is really taking the place of faith in people's lives. Right. And so it used to be that I found meaning and connection through you know, kind of a family of origin, um, you know, and ethnicity, but also, um, you know, church, faith, uh, organizations I'm a part of. Now people are finding um, identity increasingly through uh, political ideology. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, quickly, like on the left, that sort of looks like, you know, what causes am I involved in? Am Am I kind of signaling the right things uh, in the way I interact with people on social media? Now, here's what you're getting at, though. On the on the that's that's on the left. Did I say that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. On the right, what that's looking like is instead of the right being um, kind of the the people who care about uh, uh, financial Moral responsibility, uh, instead of instead of the right being people who uh, care about you know family values. Um, it, it really is becoming the pursuit of comfort. And so one of the ways you see this, I had a friend who um, was on a, a kind of a spiritual pilgrimage uh, last summer. And at the same time, I have another friend who I think just maybe embodies this um, secularism of the right, 
who goes on this on this on this uh, secularism of the right pilgrimage, and what that looks like is flying to Europe to pick up his new car from the factory and then touring around Europe, visiting places where his family of origin came from. And then, you know, I'm sure eating wonderful meals. And like, this sounds really great, right? But he's doing this at the same, and what I'm realizing is, you know, this is what spiritual pilgrimage looks like. Mm -hmm. This is how I find my my meaning and my identity Mm -hmm. is through the pursuit of comfort. And yeah, through through what I buy. Mm Yeah, and what's fascinating about that is, you know, both kind of pilgrimage narratives. Um, I, I think of this, too, because I just recently finished Jamie Smith's really lovely book um, on the road with St. Augustine. And, you know, this idea that pilgrimage answers these kind of deep questions about who we are and our identity mm. and how we relate to God, I think, is applicable. Um, but, you know, what strikes me on the pilgrimage on the left, too, is 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 the sense of wanting to enter into a, like a story in a place that has a history, you know, something larger than oneself, but it's still as a tourist. Right. And, right. and then the, you know, the secularism of the right or the pilgrimage of the right is, is, um, it is more, it's maybe more crassly consumeristic, you know, we can see that, you know, for what it is a little bit better. Um, but both of them are using a place and using a historical, you know, setting an an ideology to fulfill themselves. So really, whether it's left or right, we're still just out for kind of pleasure and yeah. Well, and really, really, what it is is it's constructing a meaning for myself apart from a God given identity. Yes, and saying you know whether whether my preferences lean rightward or leftward, um, I can live a great meaningful life without God. Right. That's really what secularism has left us with. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding or lack thereof, really. Right. Um, when, you, when you look at just the trends that seem to be coming out in terms of loneliness, depression, anxiety, the cracks in the foundation are kind of beginning to show. And yet we don't really seem to have any idea of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And I think those of us who live in kind of affluent or right-leaning communities like we do, regardless of how you vote or anything like that, but... There is a sense of we can pinpoint everything wrong, right? It's with all of these quote unquote progressive social agendas. It's with, you know, all of these laws. And if we could just change the form, if we could change the law, the wording or anything like that, then our nation would be on the right track. And I think that's a lie too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we tend to be much better at at seeing the faults in the other side than we do in critiquing ourselves. Yes. But, um... You know, I mean, that's that's really why the gospel is so beautiful. I think somebody said to me last week, uh, somebody in our church said, you know, Adam and Eve lived in paradise and they couldn't even uh, get it right. And they th- felt they needed to leave God and turn their back on God with uh, in order to form an identity apart from God. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, I guess, were the original secularists. <laughs> yep. And uh, but Jesus had everything against him. You know, the religious establishment the uh, political establishment, everything against him, and yet he perfectly fulfilled God's law. He, um, you know, he's always sneaking away to try to find times to connect with God the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus, both in his in his life, actively kind of lives this life of dependence upon upon God, uh, and then in his death, exchanges places with us, pays our debt for rebellion against God. 
uh, and, and therefore, and then raises from the dead and ascends into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, to enable us um, to live lives towards God, to be aware of God's presence in our lives. And he leaves us the Bible and he teaches us how to pray in order to experience the presence of God in every aspect of life. Mm. So we don't have to be hopeless. We have. <laughs> exactly. And in, in the presence well, are, of a decaying society. Yeah, or, you we know. don't have to create an identity for ourselves. Right. You know, and I, you receive an identity from God. I mean, this is the beauty of baptism. You're baptized into the name of Father, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God places his name on you. Mm-hmm. You are in Christ, and therefore you are precious in God's sight. And that if that is the starting point, you don't go out into the world to shape an identity for right, yourself right. Uh, and end up living this life of anxious, you know, frenetic, frenetic act- activity. activity. Yeah. Um, but rather you can go out into the world secure because you're secure in Christ and therefore live your life as a gift to those around you. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for our further conversations about secularism and suburbia and wherever you might find yourself. I love to leave my listeners with just one small step so we can connect some of these big ideas we've been talking about into your regular life Monday to Friday. So do you happen to have any thoughts about what what do we do with some of this stuff? You know, I, I think that the most powerful thing you could do is think about uh, where you put your phone oh, I like when it. you go to bed. Mm. And um, you know that several years ago, I, I put this um, screensaver on my phone, on the lock screen that says Bible before email. And I had gotten into this practice, like most of us do in our culture, of, you know, I plug my phone in on my nightstand, and when I wake up, you know, statistically, most people check their email before they say hello to their spouse or do anything else in the morning. And so we, as a, as a couple, just started the practice yeah. of plug your phone in downstairs so it's not the first thing you look at. And I'm not jumping out of bed first thing in the morning right. and sort of defining my day and my myself by what's on the to-do list and I'm already behind mm. because all these mm. emails have come in um, overnight. I love it. So think about where you plug your phone and put it on the other side of the house. I love it. Um, and you know, spend five minutes, open up the Bible, read Psalm one and pray. Even if it's just five minutes before you check your email, it Uh, it won't make a difference in one day, (laughs) but that practice, you know, reading the book of Psalms, let's say, uh, over the next month, um, if you, if you begin to, uh, kind of make that your, your first habit in the morning, it will reshape your life and you will become a less anxious person over time love it okay so friends make sure you subscribe to the finding holy podcast and we would love if you rate and review the finding holy podcast we're excited to continue these conversations we'll see you next week i hope you enjoyed that first conversation of our suburban boot camp episodes this month where we really just talked about secularism and and also how our small habits shape and form us. Even something as small as where you put your phone at night. So here again is your small step is think about putting your phone somewhere else. Go to Target, buy a $5 alarm clock and plug in your phone downstairs. You can also put some certain kind of restrictions on your phone for screen time or that it won't ring at certain periods of the day. And so 
it simply kind of disconnects us from the ability to always be accessible. And that, we believe, is just one small way that we begin to practice being human again instead of being molded and shaped by the things that our phones and the companies behind our phones want to shape us in their image. So remember, as you go about your day, whether you're running, whether you're doing the dishes, or even doing the laundry, that... God cares for you, and he delights in you, and he wants to meet with you. And so we pray that these few episodes of Suburban Boot Camp will begin to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. I'd love to hear about your laundry routine, too. So go ahead and tag me at AA Hales on social media. Use the hashtag Finding Holy Podcast and let me know your laundry routine because the big things matter, but so does the laundry. And we'll see you back here next week for another episode of Suburban Boot Camp where we give you some more practical steps to take into your everyday holy life. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.